Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually not longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So it seems like we are in the, you know, any minute now WWDC announcement kind of part of the year, right? Yes. <laughs> so I hope so. I really, really hope so. It is it is possible that any time between now and mid-May, uh, Apple might announce WWDC. And so when this happens, I would like to uh, strongly encourage our listeners out there, if you're wondering, like, is it worth going? Is it, you know, sh- should I, you know, go through the hassle and expense and time of getting out there? Should I enter what will presumably be some kind of lottery to to get to go to the Apple campus and go in person? I would say... Treat it like almost like, you know, Disney World, like with the disclaimer, I've never actually been to Disney World, but treat, you know, sure. treat it like like a cool like destination vacation or a cool pilgrimage in a way like it, I would suggest if you have the means to get yourself there, whatever that means for you. Um, and that's a huge if because, you know, for many people, it could be quite quite a, a, a journey to get there. But I would say if you have the means Going to, assuming they do the same thing as they did last year, which is also a big assumption, but I think it's probably a safe one. Yeah. Going to the Apple campus and being there in person, seeing Apple Park, like all that stuff, you know, that it was so cool to just be there and see all that stuff. And, you know, that it's a, it's a really cool pilgrimage. And so I would say if this gets announced between this episode and next, which we're both hoping it will, <laughs> and, yes. and, uh, and, and if some lottery opens up that you can enter to, to go in person, I would suggest if you can swing it to do so, because it's really cool. And it's not, you know, it, it's not so much for the developer content, because that will mostly be streamed. Like that, you know, that, there's not going to, they didn't do live sessions last year. Um, it was, it's more of like, here's a cool thing you can do in person if you want to. And then the whole conference is actually online, which I, which we talked about before. I think is better in pretty much every way. Uh, it's not about the content so much as the pilgrimage. And I find the pilgrimage also incredibly motivating to like to to go work on my app afterwards because I've like I've I've been to the mothership and and I've seen all the people who work on this stuff and and it like it always energizes me to go do awesome stuff in my app and to go work harder and and to adopt the new stuff and. And so there is a very strong uh, just coolness factor to going, and there's a very strong motivational factor to going. So I strongly suggest if such a lottery opens up anytime soon and you're able to go, put your name in the hat. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think I would definitely both concur with that as a, as a recommendation. And, I mean, there's clearly a reason why you know, I, every WBDC that I could have gone to in person that I have been to since 2009 – you know, and that is, you know, in aggregate, quite, you know, it's certainly quite a bit of expense in terms of time and money, but it is something that I continue to do and continue to hope to be able to continue doing because it has been so impactful, because it is so just a useful part of the year. And I think for all your, the things you're saying, but I think for me, the biggest thing too is there is something different about physically moving yourself to a different place that is a useful mental reset for the rest of the year. Um, you know, it's like it creates this chapter sort of there's the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And for my, you know, for my work life, that has been really helpful to me to be able to kind of go there and for a week be completely focused on work 
and what I'm, you know, what I'm going to work on for the rest of the year. What's interesting, kind of, it's very good for being creative and have you have, you know, you have an idea at WWDC and you can talk it through with like three or four people immediately, like in a way that is just different and very, you know, cultivating for new ideas and things that you're going to kind of go into. And so I think there is just that. And you could kind of create that yourself, you know, in terms of like you could go, you know, we talk about going on little like working vacation type of situations. And if you going to WGC would not be something that would be particularly viable for you, you know, trying to do something like that where you, you know, go, go stay in a local hotel for a couple of nights um, around WWDC to have that same sense of like it's a focused retreat focused on work. It's just something that I've found very, very empowering. But certainly if you can get out to there and it's like assuming there's going to be an event like they did last year, at least um, something like that. Like if you I would highly recommend being really positive about trying to get there, especially if you haven't before, because um, you know, maybe it's not for everybody, but it's definitely for you, for, you know, for Marco and I. And um, I you know, ho- imagine we are not not alone in our sort of finding of its value. Yeah. And, and I mean, I would even say like, even, and let me know, you know, when you lived on the East coast of the U S and had a similar flight situation, even the flights to and from, I always got a massive amount of work done when I don't usually like on, you know, usually long flights, I always think I'm going to get work done and I never do. But for some reason, the ones to and from WWDC, whether it's like the motivation or the fact that that it's just usually just me without anybody else, you know, no companions or family or anything like usually I get a ton of work done on those flights. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool experience. So if you can do it and if the opportunity opens up in the next two weeks, which we, we assume it, it, there's a pretty good chance of that just timing wise for the year, um, we suggest that you do it. Absolutely. So now onto the actual show topic. We, uh, you know, so when you uh, debuted the Pedometer Plus Plus major update um, a couple episodes ago, um, part of that update, among many other things, including what appeared to be an almost total rewrite of the app, which is no small feat. um, Part of that change is you actually changed the business model of Pedometer Plus Plus and you adopted a new subscription. And, 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 you know, at the time, I, I believe we said let's revisit that uh, after a little while when you have some some data and you've you know you've seen the feedback and you know how how the existing users um, have received that because this is something that I think a lot of indie developers face of you have an existing app with existing users and you want to move it to a subscription model and we've seen this over and over again in the industry and it's usually really tricky to navigate that path and a lot of times users get upset or the press turns against you if you have any press um, or you know people you know it, it, people dump your app for a competitor because they hate subscriptions or whatever and so that's obviously very tricky to manage and and I think you've been really I think unusually good compared to the industry average in terms of bring your your existing user base along through significant uh, changes in the app and and you know you you are you are more level-headed than most of us you are you are um, better at reacting quickly to user feedback than most of us and so i'm curious to see i haven't i've intentionally not been like you know digging into your reviews so i I, I didn't want any spoilers um how has this gone for you and and what have you learned in the process moving pedometer to a subscription yeah, and I think so. So, like, the, like the high level first is that I think it it went well. Like, it's it's been Great. basically yes, yeah, like we're basically a month in, and I mean, it's like you're never going to get through something like this without some people being grumpy. Um, I mean, that is anything, regardless of what I had changed. If I change anything, there will be some you know group of people who are grumpy. That's just the reality of 
uh, development and improvement and change. So like that would, that, that is not unexpected, but it has been something that, you know, I think, and we can, as mentioned, the rest of the episode will be talking about all the strategies I used to try and make this transition sort of smooth and easy and hopefully painless for my customers. Um, but overall, they all seemed to have generally worked. And like, you know, the subscription is doing well. The general kind of user base seems happy. Um, you know, the, the, a month in and other than a few minor issues, like I haven't had any crazy issues related to the, you know, rewrite side of things. Um, you know, so it's like, Overall, the, the you know the update went well, and I think probably a good place to start is to just kind of talk through the business model history for Pedometer Plus Plus because um, I mean it's funny. I think Overcast has gone through the same kind of a journey where it has definitely not been a straightforward path from you know version one to now in terms of what brings me to here and kind of the luggage that that means that the gap is kind of carrying with it um, to this point. Um, cause Pedometer Plus Plus launched nearly 10 years ago, um, which is a wild yeah. thing to think about, but it's like in 2013 when the iPhone, you know, the iPhone 5S launched, um, I launched Pedometer Plus Plus and initially like the app was just completely free, no business model, no anything because it was super simple, did, did hardly anything. And I wasn't even really sure when I shipped it, if it was even going to really work, like in a practical sense that I, I'd played it, you know, had, had gotten my iPhone 5S in line, like, you know, got up at two in the morning, went and camped out in front of an Apple store, got my iPhone 5S, did a build and run. It worked. I submitted it. Like that was where I was. And so I had like minimal confidence in this app, but I thought it also was really cool to be there on day one, to be, you know, right there at the start. And so that's how the app launched. It was just like a free app out there. Like, let's, let's see if there's anything here. Um, and then and it, that was sort of where it began. And then, so as a result, in, in a weird way, like I didn't think about this at the time, but that kind of, you know, sort of dictated some of the paths that I felt like were available to me because it meant that the paid up front model, I felt like I was kind of I'd excluded as a result of going down that road, which isn't technically true. Like I certainly could have gone down that road, but it, it didn't, you know, in general, when you take something that was free and make it paid, that is where I think the biggest sort of issues and problems you run into regards to user, you know, user and customer feedback that like you take this thing that was free and you make it paid. That is so often the, the, like the the root thing that people don't like. So I was like, okay, that's not going to be there. And so then it was like, okay, well, what can, what can I do? Um, and this is, you know, 10 years ago, there was no in-app purchase subscription for, um, I don't think, it may not have even been for anything, but at the very least, it definitely wasn't for just like software. Whereas, you know, in the first version of subscriptions, it was only for media and content. Um, and so that definitely wasn't this. And so the first thing I did was I added a tip jar to uh, Pedometer Plus Plus, which I think may have been one of the very first like tip jars in in the App Store, at least one of the few that I was aware of. And I wasn't even sure if it would get through App Review, but I was just like, hey, let's just see if that works. So I just added a little thing that was like, you know, small, medium and large tip. And you could, you know, kind of just freely give me some money um, inside of the app. And uh, I tried that and it worked reasonably well, like in terms of I, I think the the general feedback I got from that is that, you know, it's like it, it, 
it is a good way of getting a reasonable amount of money from your most passionate fans. Um, you know, the, like the, 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 the 10% of people who are most excited about your app are, were, were very supportive and able to get into that. But it also leaves a lot of users who are completely unmonetized and that was problematic. And so then I went and added advertising, um, inside the app. And originally it was iAd when, uh, Apple introduced that. And then when Apple got rid of that, I went to AdMob. Um, and it's kind of advertising became the main uh, business model for the app for a long time. And eventually I slightly rebranded the tip jar to be more like remove ads rather than just a tip jar because that actually performed, you know, a lot better, but did a similar kind of thing where it's this, you know, it's a bit more voluntary rather than being essential. Um, and so that sort of brings us to today where now it's a model where there's a selection of features inside the app that I put behind a paywall and I, you know, I'm now charging a recurring subscription for that. So, you know, it's the sort of $2 a month, $20 a year kind of a model for in pedometer plus plus's case, it's, you know, essentially all of the workout features. So the iPhone workout uh, tracking, the mapping features, uh, downloadable maps, all that kind of thing, as well as some custom icons, um, and, and sort of, I have some plans for things down the road and that would be sort of, uh, most likely be premium features. Um, but in kind of just as broad strokes, that's kind of the journey that the app has been on to get to today, um, which hopefully is kind of some useful co- context before I dive into the actual nuts and bolts for like where, you know, sort of where I am now and how I got here. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, you know, to, to look back over the history of, you know, such a, such a long running app. And, you know, I have, as you said, I have this, I have a similar time timeline with Overcast, uh, you know, having come out almost nine years ago. And, it's interesting. Actually, wait, almost 10. Oh, geez. 2014? I forget. I think it's almost nine years ago. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> when, it's, when it's been that long, the difference between nine and 10 doesn't really matter that much. Um, but it's interesting, you know, like on one hand, you have to, you know, you, it's, it's useful to know what happened in the past um, and and to, to know the journey that get that got you here and to, to keep in mind the lessons learned from the past. But on another level, you can't be too concerned with the past because... Every new person who's coming to your app, like your entire source of growth is coming from people who don't know the app's history, who maybe don't even know the history of apps in general back then. And also, even if they did, probably don't care anymore. You know, like, you know, when the app store first launched, almost everything was paid up front for the first few, you know, weeks or months. Um, everything was like five or ten dollars uh, and then very quickly went down and down and down. And then eventually we, we got to where we are today. Um, but you know, no one today cares that, yeah, most apps used to be paid up front for the first couple months of the app store. <laughs> like, no one cares. Yeah. That's not that's not a thing at all that people care about now. Um, but your existing customers who were there for that part of it, some of them still care. Like, you know, one of the one of the issues I have, um, you know, with with Overcast and, and I've had this issue for everything I've ever done is, you know, the, the people who bought it you know quote you know who who bought the the unlock for the original 1.0 version in 2014 still expect all the benefits they bought from that unlock to be there today and it's like okay yes like thank you you gave me five dollars i think it was i don't even remember i think it was five it's like whatever it was you gave me this amount of money in 2014 and I've been maintaining the app for this entire time since then, running the servers this entire time since then. If you gave me five bucks in 2014 and have been using the app since then, if you don't show the ads in the app or haven't bought premium, 
I have definitely lost money on you by now, but that's my problem, not yours. And, you know, that's, that's, that's on me to deal with. And so if I change the business model or if I change what, you know, what those people um, have access to now, they're going to see that as taking away something of theirs, or they're going to see that negatively in some other way. And so it is, it is ultimately my problem to deal with of like, you know, if I want to change the business model to, to match what current customers expect or to match what my current needs are financially for the app or, you know, how, how to cover my current costs of running the app, that's really up to, up to me and new customers to mostly handle because you, it's really hard to, then, to change what the old customers are getting or have gotten for, for what they paid or didn't pay. And without really angering your existing user base. So on one level, you have to try as much as possible not to care about the past. But some of your customers are going to care quite a lot about the past. Anyway, we are brought to you this episode by Indeed. When it comes to hiring, you need to trust your gut. But what if you could give your gut some help? When you want to find quality talent fast, you need Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like matching, assessments, and virtual interviews. And if you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job with Instant Match. It's really incredible. As soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates, and you can invite them to apply right away. Boom! It's like hiring at warp speed. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash under the radar to start hiring now. That's Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D, Indeed.com slash under the radar. That's Indeed.com slash under the radar. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, and I think it's very much what you're saying there of this sort of this duality that you have to keep in your mind when you're doing this kind of work. I think is so fundamental to understand and be aware of and respectful of your existing user base who are, you know, presumably the you know, the, they're the bread and butter of your app. They're the people you've built up over time, hopefully. This, you know, this group of people who like the app, who use it regularly, you know, that when we talk about retention and you, you have this retention curve where, you know, whatever, 40% of people come back the first day and then it kind of falls off from there. But at some point you end up with this group of people who are committed to your app, who are invested in it into the sense of their time and energy and attention. And so you want to, you know, sort of do right by them. And if you do, you know, it's like treat them well, that they are, you know, there's hopefully enough of them that have enough goodwill that they'll support you, but also make sure that you're, you know, not, you know, catering to them too much at the expense of your kind of future potential for growth with new customers who don't have that context, who are that for, you know, that day one person. And so I think when I'm going into my business model change for this, what I, the thought I had in my mind, which I don't know is, I think it was the sort of the generous and, but also like sort of like safe and wise approach as well was to say, I'm not going, I'm going to try very hard to not take anything that is currently free and 
or you could have had access before and put it behind a paywall that I don't want it to ever feel like I, you know, this thing that you had, I'm taking it away from you and now starting to charge you money. Instead, I'm going to do the work to build new and more compelling features that will augment the existing experience. And all of the new stuff is going to be paid. Um, and sort of my rationale for that is that if you are a, a, a current user, someone who's happy, someone who likes the app, who uses it all the time, and I make the app better, you're going to want the things that make the app better because you like the app. So why wouldn't you want the app to be better? But if you, for whatever reason, don't want to pay for that, nothing is, you know, you can continue to still be that person who is happy and is using the app and like, we're, you know, we're all good there. And so that was sort of the way that I intentionally structured this, that I didn't take any of the features that existed before, that if in some ways, if, if it weren't for the visual redesign stuff, like you could, there's entirely possible that some users would never know that anything changed. And those users still have, there's still ads in the app. And so they'll continue to kind of support and be monetized in that way if they never went, you know, anywhere else in the app. But I'm also going to create this new way that, if you want the more advanced features, if you want a more robust experience, if you want features that are new, then you then you have to be sort of on the subscription plan. And that seems to kind of be working well where, you know, the existing user base was fairly happy with that. If you didn't, you know, it's like you could have been completely unaware that this happened, the, you know, the business model changed, but you didn't have to change with it, or you can kind of become aware of that new option uh, subsequently. Like that is definitely something that, you know, sort of is possible in this model. But I think overall that seemed to work. And I think that sort of was the approach I took was consciously sort of with that in mind. And I think not every app has the benefit of that because it is very difficult to pull off because you have to essentially like create whole cloth, something of value that's worth paying for in addition to whatever your core, uh, like, you know, value was initially, because I think very often where apps get into trouble is when the you know you have a business model for the core part of your app, and then you now suddenly want to start charging for that core part of the app, and now you're taking something away from someone, and in, you know necessarily and obviously and like quite reasonably, people are going to be upset if you take something away from them rather than sort of add something extra that they now have to pay for. And so it's definitely difficult. Like it would have been great if I just decided, hey, I'm just going to make the app, you know, subscription based. And um, I mean, interestingly, like as a sort of a point of comparison, like I've in the industry that I work in, um, you know, in terms of step counting, there have been a number of apps that kind of you know, were created, did reasonably well, and then got bought by, I don't know what kind of companies you'd call it. it's like this it's, i don't know if it's venture or how it's sort of funded but you know there's these companies that come in and they buy an app and then it's just like put, put everything behind a paywall it's it's all about using the s you know the existing search you know search optimization for the app in the app store and it's just like any every time you open the app it's showing you a paywall it's very aggressive and i'm sure it makes money but it also like ruins the user experience um and so like that is the other extent of this where i see that and it's like i'm maybe there's more money there maybe if i'd gone that route that would have been potentially like overall more income, but it would have been way less satisfaction for myself and my users. So instead, it's like taking this approach of let's put in the work to build features that are worth paying for and then charge money for them, which I think ultimately sounds kind of simplistic and superficial, but like that's what I did and it seemed to work that I think there's probably 
you know, there were a, f- a few dozen people who were upset about this thing or saying, look, oh, now you're just one of these apps always wanting to, you know, uh, you know ask for a subscription, asking for money, you know, be greedy and selfish. But it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a, like a dozen people. It's, it's not the vast majority of people who, you know, seem pretty, pretty fair about this, that I'm just presenting this, you know, value proposition. Here are some new features that I spent a while building. And if you want them, awesome. This is what they cost. And that makes it very straightforward. Everything you had before, if you paid to remove ads in, you know, like you know, 10 years ago, it still works today. It's still remove your ads. Like I'm just sort of grandfathering in all the features from before. And like that seems to work. That's really good. I'm really glad to hear that. Because like, you know, the, the your competitors apps that you're that you were talking about, about how, you know, they're just kind of, you know, ad crap fests to just you know, it's like it's like strip mining attention on the app store. Just like we don't care how terrible we make this experience. We're just going to mine these people for as much crappy ad money that we can get. And, you know, when the app becomes a rotting husk of itself, who cares? We'll move on to the next one. Um, and that is a huge economy. And that is a huge part of the app store, um, a, a part of the app store that that still um, both baffles and disappoints me that Apple allows to exist at all um, through the process of app review that's protecting us from bad experiences in in theory. Um, but you know, setting that aside, you know, they Apple permits this and and profits heavily from this because what that industry is mostly for is we're going to buy as many installs as we can, oftentimes using search ads where Apple profits again. Thanks uh, for that. Um, so you know, lots of you know money going in to to buy installations because they know they're going to strip mine the attention for ad money once it's installed until the user realizes oh god i'm so tired of these stupid ads and you know and moves on um and that's a game that if you cross into the like you know the the purely cynical revenue maximizing mode you play that game then and then you're competing with all of those people and all of those apps and the fact is they're probably better than you at that game because you care too much about people and quality (laughs) so um so if you want to you you can play that game like if that's your industry and you want to play that game you can play that game and look someone wins that game that you know it could be you maybe not but you know it could be you but when you're instead focused on the quality market that's a different game that you're playing, a very different market. And that is a much smaller part of the app store by volume. But it's also, I, I mean, for me, it just feels a lot better to play in that game. And that's, I, I think when we are talking about, you know, the the wonderful life of being an indie app developer, that's more what we're thinking of than the, you know, strip mining people's you know, attention for as many ads as you can get before they get tired of your app and delete it because it doesn't quite do what you, what they wanted. And it's full of so many ads. They can't get anything done. Like we, we've all seen those apps in the app store. Um, oftentimes like on our kids devices that we have to you know, delete or filter or whatever, um, or, or our relatives or whatever, but it, it's much nicer to not play that game if you don't have to. And, and fortunately, with Pedometer, you don't have to. And with, you don't play the game with any, with any of your apps. And I don't either. And I'm really happy not, not to play that game. Um, and so I, I think it's important when you are looking at, like, you know, revenue strategies, ad strategies, et cetera, to recognize which of these games you're, you're actually playing uh, and, and which one, which one you, you want to be playing and which one you are potentially good at or want to be good at. Because, you know, if you, if you push too hard and you fill everything with ads and you maximize every opportunity, like, again, like that... That puts you in a different category of app, 
and the quality market will abandon you. And then you're just competing with the, you know, pump and dump market and they're going to be better at it than you. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's, it's a sense of, are you trying to build a business that can last for years and years that, you know, like I, you know, and making this change in Pedometer Plus Plus 10 years almost into its life. And I am sort of making this change to hopefully make the next 10 years of this app viable. Um, and that's just a different mentality. That's a different mindset that like I, what I want is a sort of a core group of users who love the app, who care a lot about it, who are my like my marketing division, essentially, that like I don't have to do marketing because my customers do my marketing for me because they like the app and they'll tell it to a friend or show it to someone or like those kinds of things. Like that's what I'm buying with that. Um, like that goodwill turns into like these other divisions of like, I don't have a growth marketing team. I don't have a market, you know, all these things that you could imagine if you start to go in a different direction that you would need. It's like I'm instead building that, you know, paying for those with goodwill instead. And I think my hope is to just have a, have a model that is sustainable. And I think ultimately for the, you know, the sort of the indie life, I think sort of having ads plus a small, so, so sort of in, not not inconsequential, but to have have a subscription that is available for your most sort of interested uh, users seems like a great model. It seems sustainable. It seems like it creates you know sort of consistent revenue over time, which means that I can continue to focus on improving and my incentives are aligned with my customers' incentives. That if they're happy, I'm happy, rather than it being you know edit, working at any way at cross purposes. And I think that is the thing that ultimately like is a great guiding principle as you're thinking through business model changes or how you're going to structure things. You know, it's like, how would I respond to this if I was a user? How would I think about this? Would I be happy? Would this increase kind of, you know, the satisfaction I would have in using this app? And if that's the case, if you're doing, you're doing things that are only going to make people happy, like, oh, wow, that's a great new feature. I want that. Oh, it, you know, it cost me money. That's cool uh, in a way that I'm never taking things away or trying to create these moments of sad, you know, dis- dis- disappointment or sadness. Because, uh, you know, it's a different kind of disappointment if you s- see a cool feature and you say, oh, wow, it, you know, it costs something versus you know, the disappointment of going to check your steps in a day and they're just like not there. Like that's a very painful, different different kind of uh, dis- sort of discouragement that I chose to avoid. And maybe I'm leaving some money on the table, but I will leave that money on the table and walk away happy as a result. And sleep at night. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.